the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This gospel is shocking. And I don't mean shocking in the good way. You know, the one where the gospel tells us about the amazing nature of God's love, the radical inclusion for all in God's kingdom. No, this gospel is shocking because Jesus is being a jerk. We expect Jesus to love everyone, even, especially the outsider. Instead, we see here Jesus not just brushing off a woman pleading for his help, but actually insulting her. He's not just calling her a dog, but the worst word you can use for dog. Deriding her, demeaning her. Now, I've studied this gospel quite a bit, and I've preached on it a few times. I've turned it round and round, but I've never felt good about it. There are lots of ways that commentators and preachers make excuses for Jesus here. Jesus is being a jerk because he's worn out by those terrible Pharisees. He's just crabby. Or Jesus turns away the woman because he's entire. That's a region where the Gentiles are rich and they oppress the Jews. So Jesus is really sending a message about not oppressing people. Or Jesus is testing this woman, teaching her that she just needs to show her faith. Where I've usually ended up, however, is by not making excuses for Jesus. Because it looks like Jesus meant what he said. He tells this woman that his food, his message, his power, his blessing is meant for the children of Abraham, the Jews, if not exclusively, at least primarily, and that he cannot waste the food on outsiders, the Gentiles, dogs. It looks like this is a story where we see Jesus fully human, sticking to his mission of revealing the kingdom of of God to Israel only, and that it is only this woman's persistence that even dogs get crumbs, get the leftovers from the tables. It's only her persistence that helps Jesus understand his mission in a new way. It's her bold statement, her begging for her daughter, that helps Jesus snap out of it understand what it is God wants him to do, understand that the kingdom is for everyone. In other words, Jesus changes his mind, and we get to see his conversion here. And you know what? That is a pretty darn good interpretation of this story. But this time, this year, this week, as I studied and I read and I prayed, this time, that interpretation didn't feel right anymore. It didn't fit. After all, 
this story happens after Jesus has already healed another Gentile, the Gerasene demoniac. This encounter occurs after he tells his followers that it's not what we take in, but what comes out of us, out of our hearts that defiles us. Remember, that was just last week that he provided a long list of those defiling emotions, including wickedness and slander. Yet not even 24 hours after making that speech, Jesus is surely slandering the Syrophoenician woman. And this story comes long, long after Jesus has made clear the lavish, unruly, surprising nature of the kingdom. How it will be spread like a generous, even foolish farmer casting his seeds everywhere, not caring where they land. He's made clear that his kingdom includes outsiders. It includes howling demoniacs and hemorrhaging women who dare touch the hem of his garment. It includes dead little girls brought back to life. He's already traveled through Gentile lands, Genesaret, healing the sick. He's in a, a Gentile land now. Why go there if he doesn't want to share the food of his healing and teaching, the good news with everyone? Just what is going on here? Well, what if, what if this story, which doesn't seem to have been witnessed by anyone other than Jesus and the woman, what if this story is here, not for the disciples, not for the Pharisees, but for us. I mean us, right here, 2015, All Saints. I mean, after all, we believe that though scripture was written down by humans, that there is inspiration by God, that it comes alive best when we read it, when we proclaim it, when we study it. Whenever I lead a group through the ancient practice of Lectio Divina or praying with scripture, one of the key questions in that prayer is this, what is God saying to you right now, today? Well, what if Jesus is speaking to us right now, today? What if Jesus is pulling a bit of a fast one on us? What if when we react with horror to this story, gasping as we read or hear it, but Jesus, you're supposed to love everyone. Jesus, you're supposed to heal those who ask we exclaim, in you there are no divisions, neither Greek nor Jew, servant nor free, male nor female, old or young, gay or straight, insider or outsider. What if when we react like that, Jesus is saying back to us, you're shocked? 
your shot, I'm showing you what it looks like when you read the Gospels and that you say that you get that you're to love your neighbor, that you're to care most for the least, that you're supposed to care for one another as if they are me, and then I see you turn on one another. I'm showing you, I'm showing you that when you call another dog or ostracize another, then the outcome is illness and death. Remember, you are to love everyone too. What if with this story, Jesus is holding up a mirror to what he too often sees in us. Could God be speaking to us right now? Whom are we treating as outsiders, as second-class citizens? Whom does our culture expect to wait to get even the leftover crumbs? Whom do we scorn quicker to insult, to dismiss them than to let them speak, to share their story, name their anguish, their need, their sorrows? I shudder to think of how often I let my own prejudices determine how I treat someone. How often I get defensive when someone tells their story, wants to share their pain with me, and I not wanting what? To feel guilty? To feel helpless? To admit that all is not right all the time in our society, so I gloss over what they're saying, or I look for how they cause their own problems, or I make excuses for why now is not the right time, or the way they're going about solving their problems is all wrong. In other words, wait. In other words, your time will come, just not now. And though we could come up with lots of groups in our society, in the world, who we, I, treat this way, on this Sunday, we've got to talk about race. And we've got to talk about racism. You see, the AME denomination, that's African Methodist Episcopal, the parent denomination of Mother Emanuel Church, where a white racist walked into a Bible st study and slaughtered nine people, the denomination that was founded over 200 years ago, split from the Methodist Church, which would not allow black preachers to preach anywhere but black churches and enforce segregation in every single one of its churches, that denomination has asked all of us, all Christians, to make this End Racism Sunday, to take a stand against racism. 
Now this is just one Sunday, it's just a beginning, but it is a beginning. So today I hear the gospel, I hear today's gospel, and I think we're getting a little side eye from Jesus. He's looking at us slyly. He's showing us what we look like when we demean people, whether with our words or in our minds. He's showing us what it looks like when somebody is begging for help and we turn away, coming up with every excuse for why we can't, why we won't get involved now. We tell ourselves, you know, I, I agree with them, but I don't like those methods. We protest. Some people just want to loot. We chastise. Just behave when you get stopped by the cops and everything will be all right. Or anyone can make it in America if you're willing to work hard. Or most recently, insisting all lives matter when that clearly has not been the case. Today, this Sunday, September 6, 2015, in the United States of America and every mainline church that uses the lectionary, I think Jesus is holding up a mirror. You're shocked by my callousness, he seems to say. Are you disturbed by my vicious words, my dismissal of this woman? Good. Good. Thank God. Now go. Go, listen, listen to the pleas of those who are in pain, Jesus says. Listen to their stories with an ear to hear and understand before you jump to judgment and defensiveness. Go, befriend those who differ from yourself. They're not outsiders and you're not insiders. In the kingdom of God, there is only an inside. In the kingdom of God, there is bread for all. There are no crumbs. In the kingdom of God, there's not judgment. There's mercy and mercy and more mercy. I don't know. Maybe this is all just wishful thinking on my part. I've just made up some elaborate, fabulous fantasy about the gospel. Maybe Jesus was just tired that day. But I don't think so. I think he's talking to us. Talking to us by showing us how we look when we try to keep someone out. When we think our mission is more important than someone else's pain. When we think we have the answers and talk over their stories. Whenever we think our privilege is more important than being brothers and sisters to all. And I think Jesus is talking to us through Proverbs. Those who are generous are blessed. Those who are generous are blessed. And through James's letter, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith 
but do not have works. Mercy, James writes, mercy triumphs over judgment. We have a long way to go, beloved. I think we all know that. But the gospel today is telling us we must start now. And we start by looking at the one who we think is so different from ourselves, calling them friend and asking to hear their story. No interruptions. Knowing that the mercy God promises to each one of us sitting here is promised to all.